Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got uh, our old friend Jonathan Martin back on the podcast today. Uh, some of you might know that he found himself in a little bit of uh, hot water, was uh, banned from the campus of Liberty University for some of his comments uh, about uh, the old president over there, Jerry Falwell Jr., Jr. And uh, so we thought we'd bring him back on the podcast and talk about what took place there at Liberty University. And... And this is uh, uh, definitely one that uh, we'll be discussing a lot in the old wrap-up podcast, the end of the month. Um, it's interesting subject matter of uh, what does it mean to be a pastor, uh, be a Christian, be someone who's committed to the way of Jesus, and speak out about things that you have conviction for without uh, finding yourself stuck in the narrow Republican or Democrat kind of box. Uh, I, I think one of the problems for so many of us is that we first identify ourselves with our political party and our Christianity comes second. So we're a, a Republican Christian or we're a Democratic Christian. And the, the order is really the issue, right? Like I, I think the, the main issue that you find is the order in which we align our political allegiances. If Anyway, whatever. We'll get into that more uh, on the podcast. But first, uh, our podcast today is brought to you by Podbean your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing provider. If you've got a message, if you've got some teaching, if you've got something you need to share with the world, do what I did. Go to podbean.com backslash newsworthy and sign up for a podcast. And now with their new mobile app, it gets even easier. You can record and publish directly from your phone. So go to podbean.com for more information and they'll take care of you. Now, on to the podcast at hand with our friend, Jonathan Martin. All right, let me record here. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Our guest today, you know what? He might not be welcome on Liberty's campus, but you know where he's always welcome? The Newsworthy with Norsworthy podcast. Our friend, <laughs> Jonathan Martin. How are you, brother? <laughs> I, man, I am not bored. Um, I'm doing okay. I still appreciate that welcome, though, because, you know, there, I, I, I'm just not popular everywhere these days. And to know that I've always got a home here, yeah. no, there's a place on earth. There's a place on earth where I'm still welcome. Yes, it's on iTunes. It's under the name of this podcast. So that is that is outstanding. So we, we just got to jump right into this. I, I Obviously, I, I follow you on the Internet, which sounds creepier. <laughs> Out loud than what I thought it was going to sound like, um, but I was watching what took place, and yeah. someone said, "Hey, you need to have Martin on the podcast to get let, let's just figure out what's been happening." And uh, so, yeah. So, first of all, you've been uh, this took you were at a concert in um, Virginia. Is that Virginia? Is that right, Lynchburg? Yeah, in Lynchburg. Uh-huh. And if, if anyone knows you, the majority of your time is spent either at concerts or eating carbs, and so. You were doing one of your two favorite things. You were at a concert. I'm basically a homeless person who goes around talking about Jesus and going to shows. That, is, that is, should be my vibe. That, I mean, that's not a bad deal. I mean, that, that is kind of what Jesus did, minus the concerts. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. Surely. <laughs> but if, Just like Jesus. If, if Jesus had the opportunity to go to concerts, he would be doing the same thing. I would like to think. I'd like to think so. Who, who, is, who do you think the first concert Jesus would go to if he had the opportunity today Ooh. uh well i mean clearly it would have to be a u2 show right i mean that's kind of the prototype for modern 
Christian worship, so I don't see how you wouldn't just go right to the mothership. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how many U2 shows have you been to? Um, do I have to talk about this on air? 23. Yeah. That, I don't know if it's an addiction or not, but, I mean, if it was, I mean, you, there are people you can talk to. Um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I would say it's pretty diagnosable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not here to judge. We're here to welcome. And uh, <laughs> thank okay, you. so you were doing one of your favorite things. You're at a, a Johnny Swim show at Liberty University, and next thing you know, you're being escorted out. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I mean, I would back up to say, you know, full disclosure, I've been, you know, I've been critical of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s, uh, you know, at tenure at, at Liberty, especially during this whole season around. Trump, and that's been, I don't know, I just feel like, I mean, a lot of white evangelicals, of course, have supported the president, but I really don't know of anybody who's been quite, like, more, maybe there's two or three other names, but who have been more of a, like, kind of a full-time apologist for Trump yeah. than than Fowler has, and that's included, you know, after the Charlottesville, all the terrible things happened there, one of the only prominent evangelical voices who ex- Explicitly backed Trump's equivocation yeah. between uh, white nationalists and uh, and peaceful protesters. I mean, I thought I still can't believe to this minute. It's still shocking to me that Falwell like encouraged his students to be armed. That's at, at a Christian institute of higher learning. I, I can, will never be able to get my head around that. But the thing that most kind of sent me over the edge recently was. Him, you know, expressly encouraging evangelicals to partner with Steve Bannon, who, in his words, oust fake Republicans. I mean, I just think Bannon, to me, at this point, so clearly uh, represents and is connected deeply with white nationalism. Just felt like a bridge too far. So I had said some things on Twitter in particular about how displeased I was, specifically said that in the next few months that I was looking to organize some kind of a peaceful, and I made this very clear, a peaceful prayer-oriented action that would be constructive, not destructive, that would not be angry, there'd be no place for any of but some sort of, just something I feel like I need, I need to do. So my friends and Johnny Swim had said some, you know, some encouraging things about that. They were about to play at Liberty, invited me to come to the show. I wanted to come to the show, both to support them, because I love them and love their music, and also to meet some of the folks on the ground there who've already been in touch with me, uh, students and faculty. Um, who are interested in being part of something larger, just so we could pray together, discern. You know, I don't want to come in and just do some big thing. So let's take some time and just pray and get a sense of how we feel like God would lead us to yeah. respond in all this. So anyway, so that brings us to the show. I'm there. Actually, the show was over, and I was back in the green room hanging out with Abner and Amanda from Johnny Swim when they sent the um, head of Liberty Police in to get me. He escorts me outside. You know, very sense of dire and urgent get out there, and there are five officers armed, you know, immediately jumps into, sir, you're not welcome on this campus. Uh, this is private property. If you ever step one foot on this property again, you'll be immediately arrested. You know, they put a flashlight in my face, take my picture, you know, have me fill out paperwork, wait with me by the curb until a car will, like, pull me up there. You know, um, uh, I mean, pretty pretty over the top. I'm assuming that's the first time that's happened to you? Yeah, that is the first time that that's happened to me. And, and, and honestly, it was pretty unnerving. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised at some level of pushback. You know, it wasn't like they – it was going to be a small um, – like we had like 15, 20 students that were going to pray together, like just kind of in front of the library, not in a building, whatever. 
but you know, even if you would have said like, hey, you can't do that here, or you can't do that without filing this paperwork, whatever. I mean, to jump straight to, we're banning you from the campus for life and threatening with arrest. I mean, I just, but to me, it so underscores the problem I wanted to highlight to begin with of the authoritarian nature of the Falwell administration, mm-hmm. much like the Trump administration in that way. Okay, so let's figure out where you're coming from, because you're a pastor, you're a writer now, writer, speaker, uh, preacher. Um, do you find yourself coming at this from someone who's um, promoting, like, l- let's choose the Democratic Party over the Republican Party? Is that your motivation for this? Or where, where's the impetus for, for speaking to this? Uh, that's a great question, and the answer is is decidedly not. I really do believe that we're in a unique moment in history where much of what we're dealing with in our political climate has absolutely nothing to do with the conservative, liberal, right-left continuum as we've ever known it. And I know those terms can be problematic because they're not theological words. But however you use them, nothing to do with any of that. You know, like, it has nothing to do with um, meaningful debate about the size and scope of government. Do we want a big government or a small government? It's none of that. I think that the kind of demonization of anybody and anything that's other, uh, that has been so modeled and empowered through the Trump administration, is, you know, is a unique phenomenon. And so in that way, I feel like there are things right now that whether you're conservative, liberal, however you identify like in a partisan way, that Christians ought to be united in opposition against. So you were a pastor for many years. Uh, you, you branched off a couple of years ago. But before you transitioned out of being a full-time local pastor, if you were in that situation right now, do you think you would have the same sort of participation in this sort of movement if you were still a pastor? Well, I mean, the short answer to that question is yes, but I'd want to qualify it to say that you know, I am in a situation right now, even though we, you know, kind of do a local worship thing here yeah. in Tulsa, I understand that my situation is unique from some of my friends who are in pastoral, you know, who are in church communities and the diversity, the pressure. Like, I, 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 I never want anything that I say to feel like judgment mm-hmm. against them or their own conditions. I do understand that right now, you know, I'm in a chair where I do have freedom. I mean, I'm self-employed. I can speak out, oh. you know, and that's part of why I feel like a special sense of obligation that I need to do so. So, you know, I, I, I will say that I would like to say that no matter, you know, what job I was in, what it kind of, what expression of my vocational ministry, that I would do the same thing. But again, I'm not trying to judge anybody who's not. I just know it's what yeah. I feel called to do. And I, I can say at the very least, even a lot of pastors I know have never been outspoken about politics uh, in general before are at, at, at minimum struggling with this right now because I think a lot of us recognize at the moment is very were, unique. Were you this outspoken five, ten years ago w- uh, regarding politics? In the, tradi- um, in the traditional no. definition of what politics is. No, I would say not. I mean, what I did, what I was, what I was always outspoken about is that, um, to use Yoder's phrase, that, that there is a politics of Jesus that because what we believe about Jesus and the kingdom of God has implications for how we live in real life. So I always talked about issues. I always talked about caring for the creation. I always talked about um, our role um, to those who are poor, marginalized, oppressed in some way. I never talked about those things in terms of like, you know, what the government does or does not do, but in terms of the role of the yeah. church. Um, so I would say what's different in this particular season is that, you know, uh, here, here's, here's, here's for me a, maybe the most prominent example. You know, it's one thing to say, 
I don't think it's the government's job to take care of poor people. I think that's the church's job. You can be a Christian and defend that position, and you can be a Christian and defend the position that there's a call towards a, a broader kind of systemic uh, justice where we pull these cultural levers to do good work. You can be a Christian and make an intelligible argument for all kinds of things about you know the role of government, etc. But what you can't do as a Christian, I don't believe, is demonize refugees, vilify immigrants and people who are other. Um, what I'm hearing consistently from friends of mine who lead Christian nonprofits right now is that if they operate in more conservative spaces, giving is down. Because even though what people might be saying on the top level is it's the church's job, not the government, in the process of saying also these are bad people and they're out to get you, you know, then well, let's pass the plate. You know, that doesn't really work. And I honestly feel like it's now that that kind of ideology, which to me and in its origin is deeply demonic, is infecting the evangelical yeah. church. First of all, you're Pentecostal, so you use words like demonic, which I don't use. Uh, but I'm sure you're probably right, because that's in the Bible, and I don't use it. But anyway, um, so y- to be clear, you're not arguing everyone needs to vote for Hillary. Your argument is is that this, no. this is bigger than just the traditional right versus left political debate. And and you see that because of the demonization of others and the mistreatment of outsiders, uh, the most vulnerable, the least of these, if you want to use the Matthew 25 language. Yeah. It seems to me, though, in our heavily politicized climate, there are only two options. You're either right or you're left. You're either pro-Hillary or pro-Trump. Yeah. And when you speak That's out right. against something that you believe to be injustice, people only have one box to put you in. How do you keep right. pushing against that and say, no, this isn't about me being a Democrat or, or whoever you are, um, but making yeah. this a Jesus thing? Well, I do the best I can to say it the way you just said it, to say that it is a Jesus thing, that it's, not, that it's a kingdom thing. I love that in Falwell's statement, how fascinating, by the way, that both Liberty and Falwell separately have issued statements. I'm like, well, apparently I yeah, have congratulations. Their but, you know, Falwell, you know, Falwell used the language that, like, you know, as a nationalist, you know, apparently Martin is a globalist. I laughed when I read it because, like, I've never used that word hardly in my life, certainly not describe myself. I'm like, I'm a kingdom of Godist, <laughs> you know, like, that's my, I don't care about any of that. I don't, I'm not like pushing for, I, I, the, you know, the Democrats, it has nothing to do with that. But for me, what I keep trying to bring people back to consistently, well, well I'll tell you this in terms of like, I try not to get too much in defending my reputation, but I will point this out to people. That in my life, I mean, I'm not that old, I'm 39, but in my life of vocational ministry, I never um, went on public crusades against, you know, George W. Bush or Mitt Romney or John McCain and no, not Obama either. I mean, I feel like, again, that's part of what's so unique about the moment we're in is that what's happening around us is not, you know, it's not normal. So for me, you know, these these issues that are confronting us in this moment are not partisan issues. They really are Mm -hmm. kingdom issues. And it's possible to address them, you know, in a, you know, in a kingdom way. I think some of what that looks like, at least, is again, not, you know, I, I hate that we so easily collapse, kind of like the right or the left, is that, you know, just to say again, like some of these, some of what we're confronting with right now, it's just, I don't know, I feel like I'm talking in circles right now. It's, it's, it's a bridge too far. And what my, and this is maybe, this is, this maybe is the key statement for me. What I feel like that we're up against right now is actually not a political ideology. It's a religious mm-hmm. ideology. And it has a religious fervor to it. It has a religious intensity. It simulates righteousness because um, there, there literally is this sense of cleansing ourselves on someone else. That's not 
you know, that to me is not religious. I'm sorry, they're not just spiritual. Uh, I can't talk. Yeah, not but it's political. religious. Yeah, <laughs> it for <is> sure. Religious. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is, you know, David Dark stuff, like life's too short, too short to pretend religious. There is a religion for everything, and our policy becomes right. our liturgy. And the way that we understand others yeah. and the, the politics that we have, it's not just a religious, it's not just a quote-unquote secular thing. I mean, I, I think you... I think I saw right. it somewhere that you referenced it. Maybe it was in the piece that Jonathan Merritt wrote about you. But like this, the very basic gospel message, Jesus is Lord, is a political statement. It says that Caesar yeah. is not Lord. And the temptation yeah. when religion and politics get mixed together is that it's fine for politics. It's not so good for religion. Right. And your concern, you say you're right. a kingdom of heaven ist. What do you think when someone um, who is an outspoken Christian gets caught up into this, what does it do for the kingdom of heaven? How do you think it affects the message of Jesus? Well, you know, the good news is that, you know, that God is gracious. And so I think, you know, we screw up in a lot of different ways. And, you know, yeah. so I'm not, you know, it's not like if somebody like goes wrong here, I'm like, oh, I'm concerned for your soul. But I think what, what it does do is compromise the public witness of the church. And that I feel like is happening right now in particular with Falwell Jr. speaking as the head of one of the largest Christian institutions for higher learning mm-hmm. in the world, is that it deeply compromises the public witness mm-hmm. of the church. Yeah, I, I think that's—and I think the way they, they treated you reflects—it's their witness. When, when I went to, I went to an under, um, a Christian university, Abilene Christian University, go Wildcats, um, in West Texas, and the year was like 2001, and there was an organization called Soul Force that was traveling around the country yeah. trying to— um, create conversations about the treatment of LGBTQ people. And as a conservative church or Christian organization, ACU did not have uh, an affirming position on that. So uh, Sulphur shows up and some would sense that they're doing um, maybe what you would have been categorized as doing, like creating a protest or something. And one of the things I love about my alma mater is they were received, they were welcomed, people who had different conclusions on this LGBTQ issue um, were hospitable. They had conversation. They listened. There was back and forth dialogue. And that's a witness that seems to say we're comfortable with who we are. We trust in God. We believe God is sovereign in the big sense of the word. And there's willing to have conversation. What does it communicate when there isn't even a willingness to exchange ideas? Right. Well, I mean, to me, it communicates a lot of insecurity more than anything else. You know, um, it, I think it communicates fear, but I feel like that's the, you know, in the spirit of things, Paul Jr. has been, you know, saying for a while, I think anybody for him, like anything that gets anywhere near protests, though we were only going to pray, you know, the, the, the people are just troublemakers. And I think that this larger movement around the Trump phenomenon is rooted in insecurity and fear. That's, that, that's what I feel like it hmm. communicates. I will add this, you know, like, and I'm, I try not to be trying to be too hardcore about this. One of the things I find to be most amusing is that, you know, Falwell's response to this is to essentially say, I was just trying to come in and pull some sort of a a publicity stunt, which I think is kind of amazing since he gets on TV every week shilling for the president in front of the cameras, talking about stuff that has nothing to do with what he does, you know, for, for a living. But then if you push back publicly, then it's a publicity stunt. Oh, and by the way, the way that you drug me out of Johnny Swim's dressing room, that was the stunt. Uh, but then, the, you know, again, his argument was to be that me talking about what happened huh. is the stunt, which is kind of unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's, 
it, it's very problematic to to accuse someone else of doing a publicity stunt um, when you're all over the TV. Very difficult to have right. any. But okay, you, you do have to put that on the table that there's no better way to draw a crowd than by reacting against someone. And and sure. for one group, it's reacting against. Um, whoever is against Christianity, right? Like, so there's the rallying the troops. We'll, we'll circle the wagons and we'll say, you have created the enemy. And the same way that right. from their perspective, you're going to go against them. And so you're going to rally the troops and you're going to get yourself a bigger brand or platform or whatever. Um, yeah. I already know you have another book deal. Like you have a two book deal or three book deal. You're writing books already. You already have the book deal. Like you're not doing that. Come on. Sure. Man. But th- yeah, in our world where you can monetize platform and when you can uh, create a movement that benefits yourself, I think everyone is susceptible to that criticism. It's, it's not above any of us. Sure. And sure. So obviously everyone has to be aware of that. Um, Absolutely. So when you talk about fear, that's all over the world these days. The church I'm a part of, we do a um, prayer of the people exercise where we have people fill out cards and then we go through and read them. And I was just reading the cards that our people filled out for last Sunday about like, what is it a God that you you worship or what is a God that motivates you that's other than Yahweh? And everyone kept going back to like the God of fear. And it's such a hot button mm. issue for so many of us that we constantly are living in fear. The kingdom of heaven is a yeah. peaceful kingdom. Jesus is yeah. constantly reiterating the words of God, like, don't worry, don't stress about tomorrow. Jesus, God constantly is saying, do not fear. Why do you think in our heavily politicized climate, fear is such a hot button subject and how does it manifest? Well, you know, um, I always think about a Bruce Springsteen lyric from a song called Devils, Devils and Dust. Fear is a powerful thing. Turn your heart black, you can trust. Take a God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. Like, I love that lyric. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think fear is powerful. I mean, truth be told is I think fear motivates, you know, not a small amount of, of our decisions, probably, you know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of us. I mean, I think uh, it, it, it is in us to, to be afraid. And in some ways, we're right to be afraid. It's mm-hmm. a part of that, you know, we're living in a, in a world where there are a lot of dangerous things out there. Nobody, no matter how much you love Jesus or pay ties or whatever, is, has any guarantees whatsoever that you're not going to get cancer mm-hmm. or a car accident or whatever else. So, you know, fear is, a, fear is a reality that we're always having to contend with. But I think what is so disturbing about the time that we're in, you know, is like, it's like um, we can choose, though, not to be held captive yeah. by fear. And we can certainly choose not to make fear and, and you know, an idol and, uh, to, you know, orient a whole religion around it, you know, which is to me a lot of what I feel like is happening right now is that, you know, we're not even... We're not resisting fear. We're capitulating to it and almost celebrating it, you know, and then when we react out of fear and act out of fear yeah. uh, and we, we, we celebrate what we're doing and call that righteousness. Yeah. yeah, and that's, nothing motivates more than fear. It really is the strongest that's motivating. Right. And if you want to get people to do something, you instill fear. And we did this in the church, yes. like when Hellfire and Brimstone, you create fear and we're the solution. We get you to do what we want by yes. creating fear in you. And businesses do yes. this, politics do this. The way of Jesus is not fear, though, and I and I we constantly need to push right. against that. And so I I, I appreciate yeah. ways of speaking against that because it's not healthy. And the position that you're in, like you're going to speak against this, you've decided like you're going to prayer meetings, mobilize people. Now, obviously, Falwell's dad was one of the founders of the religious right or moral majority, whichever yeah. alliterative title he went with more. 
And so there's a history of Christian leaders who are being involved in the political world. And and obviously, sure. you don't want to repeat the mistakes and the sins of your predecessors, which include Falwell's dad. How do you find yourself yeah. having to, to, to see this is where it can go and not want to end up there? Like it, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like you're a Christian leader, you're yeah. getting involved in, in politics, but I assume you don't want to end up in the religious right world. So not in terms of you don't want to be a Republican, but you don't want to make the sure. mistakes that that subgroup has made. Like, yeah. what are you thinking through? Like, how are you safeguarding that? Well, first of all, I think it's legitimate danger. And I think the moment that you stop being afraid, I mean, I don't, again, talk about fear, but I think the moment that we stop aware. being aware yeah. of our capacity to be co-opted in that way, that we are in a dangerous place. I mean, I'd be the first to acknowledge, I think that will always be a temptation for any of us. But I know like in my case, this can sound like too much of an oversimplification, but for me, this is huge. You know, the, everything I've learned from all my study of Martin Luther King Jr. is that you got to just keep it always about the issues. you got to always keep it about what's happening. It's not about personalities. It's not about parties. You know, you don't wed yourself to individuals or to other movements. You know, you keep it about the ideas. And, you know, so that's what I want to try to do is to keep my life oriented around kingdom ideas. And I'm talking, you know, the whole thing about Jesus being Lord, being a political claim. I want to just relentlessly talk about the ideas in public, in private, in any space that I'm in, attempt to conform my my life around those ideas. That, for me, is the closest thing, you know, to a, to a safeguard is just, you know, keeping it away yeah. from being too clearly identified with a with a particular group of persons. Yeah. Well, there's a book uh, Jim Wallace wrote called uh, God's Politics, came out probably yeah. 10, 15 years ago. I thought it was a great book. And for me, like, I grew up, um, you know, my... my uh, had connection to like the religious right. And my family was, uh, I, I remember pr- uh, working the polls and when uh, Bill Clinton won, I guess I was 92, maybe something like that. Like I literally yeah. thought the world was going to end. I thought churches were going to be shut down. They're going to put locks on the, the door. You couldn't get in. Like I, it was the end of the world. And so I, I, that's the world I grew up in. Wallace comes around, writes his book saying that God is not right or left. And it's revolutionary mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And then I can continue to, to follow his career from a distance and I see him constantly doing stuff with the Democrats. Yeah. And it seems like, okay, you said that God's not Republican, but, but right. then you've seemingly ended up by aligning yourself to Democrats. And just to, yeah. it's the same thing. And I, I wouldn't have really had an interest in having this conversation if, you, if I understood your message to be, hey, every Christian needs to be against Trump and be pro-Hillary. Yeah. That, that's right. not a kingdom message. It's, it's bigger than that. No. Your critique that you've, you said in the merit piece, is the Jonathan merit piece on the religious news services, um, RNS, whatever that is, um, is the, about the authoritarian leadership. And so you're speaking against that. What do you think healthy Christian leaders look like these days? If it's not authoritarian, they healthy Christian leaders look like the father of the prodigal son. They, um, they can see a son or daughter make a decision that they don't agree with and still give them their inheritance and their blessing because they understand it's not their role to, to control them. Mm-hmm. Um, healthy Christian leaders, look, I think what that looks like is giving people room and permission to be on whatever journey that they're on without feeling the need to control them in some way or and certainly not to int- intimidate or manipulate them in that way. I think it's just about giving room. 
It doesn't mean that you can't disagree. It doesn't mean that you can't discipline. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you got to be docile all the time. But I think ultimately it's got to be a way of like holding space and room for just people, for people to be on, again, whatever journey they're on and to not feel judged or, to, you know, to me, that's the heart of what it is to be an elder and what it is to be a spiritual father or mother. Hmm. That's a good image, being the prodigal, the father. Yeah. It, it seems like that's very difficult because the prodigal father has to wait. The prodigal father doesn't go yeah. after the son. The, the prodigal father right. w- waits for the son to run it, to, to go his journey and to eventually find his yeah. way back home. But it seems like control and manipulation is so much more natural. Like, I, I'm yeah. a father. If I had one of my daughters who went down the prodigal road, I would want to go out, find the pig pen, and pull her out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a level of. Of, of confidence, of, of trust that, that God is in all of it, that I don't, yeah. I don't think is very uh, conducive in a world of fear. Yes. And so you live out of fear and you, you can't do that. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, what's next? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's a great question, right? I mean, um, in terms of what's happening with liberty and all that, I've having just wonderful dialogue with uh, students and faculty. I want to continue to try to be a resource for them where I can be. Um, We're still looking to do some kind of larger action either late this year or early next year at the latest. Um, What I'm hearing from them is, you know, first of all, I want them to feel empowered, but I'm also hearing from students, you know, that it would mean a lot to them if there were some, you know, larger figures, artists they admire, that kind of thing they felt like we're, you know, express solidarity. So I'd love to try to help make some of those connections. But I mean, we really are still in the process of discernment about what it looks like. Because I do believe as much as some of these things are alarming to me, I don't want us to behave in a reactionary way. We're not trying to burn anything down. And I think so. I think, you know, having to take that, you know, you, you mentioned a couple minutes ago, I think, like, you know, patience. I mean, I think it's such a virtue in the kingdom. So we want to kind of do it right. And we want to keep the spirit of it right. You know, so it's not just a matter of like, technically, we're not doing anything that feels too, I mean, I just, I just think the spirit of, again, being bathed in prayer, I think that matters too. So we're trying to take our time as we discern and figure it out, but at the same time, also recognizing that it does feel like an urgent season that we're in. So I think we don't want to wait too long either, but you know, so we're still kind of discerning that, but definitely, you know, more within the next few months. And I really don't say this in a way like to, to like a bluster or something, but you know, if the idea the other night was to intimidate me or bully me in some way, I can say like, you know, everything that happened did not hardly causes me to say like, oh, well, I should give up on that. To me, it just underscores the depth of the problem and that uh, the extent to which it's going to be long and difficult work to kind of push against some of that. So if anything, I only feel kind of emboldened by that, that, you know, we need to find ways to move forward. Um, that's good. Well, you know, uh, I'm always here to help you. And so I've got some ideas. Um, I know that they had bodyguards that escorted you out. So I've been trying to think, like, what could we do to make sure, like, if something like that happened again, you, would, you wouldn't be in harm's way. And so I've been praying, and I feel like this might be a prophetic word from the Lord. So I know that you've got a friend, because you used to live in North Carolina, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. I know you've got a friend who's a pastor there who's been hitting the weights pretty hard. And maybe, yeah. maybe what you do is there's a pastor friend of yours named Stephen Get old brother Furnick, yeah. he could be your bodyguard, because I feel like he's big enough that he could pull that off now. Do you think he would be good at that? I think he would be great at it. I mean, while I'm much larger, You're there's tall. no question yeah. that he's much stronger. 
Um, so yeah, absolutely. I feel like I feel like he would become, and he, I, you know, I feel like he has the anointing as well, and that is really what makes you a double threat. Is when you know you not only have the natural strength, but you supernatural. have supernatural. So you mix yeah. his natural, the supernatural, and your height. That's that's totally. basically the trinity of protection right there. The trinity of, of protection. Yeah. That's such a great phrase. You know, Jonathan, I'm always here to help you, and I'm glad that I could give that to you. So feel free to use that. You don't have to quote me on it. Please don't quote. Oh, I, w- I feel like it was an impartation. Yeah. I feel like you invested something in my mm-hmm. life that is going to bear much fruit, Yeah, which is what it's all yeah. about. Fruit? Well, just don't put that in front of Falwell, because I know he always has a gun on him. So don't don't pass that to him. Fair enough. Fair I have enough. nothing <laughs> to do with that, um, but uh, Godspeed and all you do. <laughs> thank you so much, my friend. I, I do need to be, you do you have to be careful about opposing people with guns. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, but thank you for the time, man. I so appreciate the conversation. This podcast was brought to you by our friends at Podbean, your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing Platform And now with their new mobile app, it gets even easier. You can record and post directly from your phone. So if you've got a message you want to get out, if you've got teachings you want to share, go to podbean.com backslash newsworthy, and they'll take good care of you. Go check them out, like I have, because they're great. Podbean. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.